Welcome to the Discover Church Podcast. We are a Christian faith community based out of Denver, Colorado. Join us this week as we bring our uncertainties to an unchanging God. If you have any questions about the sermon, please feel free to send them in. You can email them to us at hello at discoverdenver.church. Okay, so last week we talked about if we um, are going to do anything, if we're going to pursue any vision, it needs to come from God if we're going to experience his power. We can't just make stuff up. I was tempted to bring my fog machines and do what I said I'll never do and just have the stage fill with fog, but I couldn't find them. So I must have thrown those away in a move somewhere. Um, here, here's what we're going to talk about. This number seven in our area code, the number seven. So uh, this is my friend, Steve. Steve Pike has done incredible things with church planting He started an organization called the Church Multiplication Network, CMN, and they've overseen a lot of church plants. I think over 3,000 church plants in the nation. But Steve is the one who recruited us to come to Denver. And um, on some days I wanted to like bless him. Some days I wanted to curse him, but it all depended on the day. But I am thankful. I'm thankful for um, Steve in my life. And I said, hey, I want to start the message off by asking you two questions. So here's why I do this. If we're going to talk about church planting and, and, and all that that entails, I, I want you to think in terms of if you are sitting across from your doctor and you were to ask your doctor, over the next 10 years, what do I need to do to live? What, are, what like to live healthy, a healthy life? Your doctor said, you need, like, you actually need to eat something green every now and then, okay? Just try it. And you're like, deep fried broccoli? And they're like, no, not deep fried. Just try regular. And they just tell you these things. You'd be foolish to not listen to your doctor, right? Now, we all don't listen to our doctor. But I'm telling you, it's foolish when we don't listen to our doctor. So what I, what I'm, the question I'm going to start with with Steve is, I, I, I start with this, is if we are to survive as a church for at least 10 more years, with all that you've experienced and seen, what would you say? we need to do this this whole segment is like five minutes so i I know you steve yes okay yes this is impossible okay so uh i would just say so the question is because you're talking about church planting which i would refer to as church multiplication because that really is what that's how that's how god everything moves forward is if he multiplies people multiply animals multiply churches multiply and so anyway so why is multiplication why is that necessary i'd say you need to multiply that's mm-hmm. how you survive. You, you need to act like healthy parents. And the reason that's important is because uh, healthy churches basically have a sort of a trifocal focus, if you will, up, in, and out. Mm-hmm. And there's this, so up is, is our worship toward God, in is our, is our connection and fellowship with each other, but out is how we move forward the mission of God, how God moves forward his mission. He's got this impulse that he puts in church. And multiplication cooperates with that impulse that God is giving you. So that helps you stay healthy as a church when you engage in multiplication. Um, secondly, the reason it's important to multiply is because it helps you avoid the, des- the inevitable death spiral of a church or an organization. Uh, the organizational life cycle for most churches is about 40 years. And after that, they begin to decline and spin this long, painful debt. Those are the ones that don't multiply ones that do multiply, basically, if the original church kind of organizationally sort of ceases to exist somewhere in the future, they've started a bunch of babies and grandbabies and great grandbabies.
leaders and stuff. And so the church has a legacy and goes on. And the only way that happens is the intentionality of multiplication. And then the other, and, and there's actually, this is not an exhaustive list, but you said it's only five minutes. Yep. So I'm not going <laughs> to. No, this is great. So, but the third thing is, is, is keeping the gene pool fresh. Um, what happens in a, in a church is it ages and goes older. People start to sort of, you get hardening of the arteries. People get settled into roles and functions, and they just get stuck. Everything gets stuck. And what starting new churches out of a church multiplying does is it forces you to develop new leaders, and, and it forces you to send leaders out, which in turn forces you to find new leaders, and that keeps the, 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 the church that is the sending church fresh and young and healthy. Cool. It, it's really helpful to, to think that if we, because we do get settled, and uh, and it's natural to do. What? Let me ask you this: What is the number one or number two? Again, I know you. You might have three. What is the thing? What's the resistance you hear from most people when you talk to them about church multiplication, and they say we can't because? Because yeah. I know as we get into this talk, let me just preface with this: We talk about Discover Church on Highlands multiplying. One of the things that we'll see is if you want the mission and justice of God to multiply into a city, this is what we're talking about. Faith communities doing this. But there's an objection up here. If you don't have them, I have them. Okay, so so, I, so I'm going to ask you, what are some? Yeah, so probably, I don't know which one's number one for real. I haven't done the research, but I know that when I talk to church leaders, typically they say, well, you know what, we believe in it. We think in multiplication is important. I don't really find a lot of quote-unquote resistance. But what they say is, we're not ready. That's probably the first thing they say. They say we're not ready, which to me is a little bit analogous to a couple, uh, a young couple that is married and somebody says, when are you going to have kids? They say, well, we're not ready yet. Well, you're never ready for kids. Ever. <laughs> and so now obviously there are times when it, it's a little wiser to, mm -hmm. to start a family, but the bottom line is that's, that's not a very legit reason just to say we're not ready. Well, start getting ready. Mm -hmm. start getting ready. Number, number two is um, another typical resistance or objection is it's just going to cost too much. And that's uh, based on the idea that we're re totally responsible for uh, the costs of a new church. And it's also based on some really, uh, out, I'd say, outdated ideas about how churches need to be funded and financed. And so a lot of times it's a lot less expensive and a lot less daunting financially than people think it is. So that's not, but that's a typical reason. People say, ah, you know, it's better just to sort of do what we're doing and, and maybe grow this and that kind of stuff. And the other one is people have this immediate reaction that, well, there's already plenty of churches up here. There's too many. We just need to help the existing churches get bigger and be healthier. That's a real common reaction and response. And um, the, the reason that's just, just not true is, um, well, uh, probably the best way to say it, in Denver County, um, the, the, the Denver County itself is basically analogous to the city of Denver. Mm -hmm. So let's just talk about this place right here. There's an organization that's done research on how many people in Denver County are somehow participating in a Protestant church. And, well, it's actually in any kind of mm -hmm. religious expression is what they, they researched. And the the number that they came up with is, is 100,000, and that, that's counting every imaginable expression of church. 100,000 people in the Denver community. Um, but they have, and then they have these other categories. They, they measure different other religious expressions and how many people are participating in that. But then they have this category called unclaimed. Mm -hmm. 
And the, the number for Denver County, the, the unclaimed number, which is actually, I think, more conservative, is 300,000. So all the churches that we have right now, you know, maybe we're reaching 100,000, you know, we're connecting with, we're helping 100,000 people walk with Jesus. But there's still 300,000 people who are, quote, unquote, unclaimed. And so the question I would say is, well, is there is there space for somebody yeah. to help those folks follow Jesus? And the best way to do that is a church that is saying we're we're, we're gonna we're gonna do everything we can to help that person these these folks whoever they may be you know Jesus cool can you give Steve a round of applause um, I feel short if it's not my stool I'm sorry that everything that Steve has talked about when we came here we were wondering you know we we tend to think like most people think how do we just get a thing started and then when we start to see life transformation, we realize we don't want this thing to stop. We don't want church to stop. And when I think of Discover Church in the Highlands, I go, you guys are such wonderful people. And we see life transformation. We're seeing things happen in the neighborhood. And I'm hearing people talk in the neighborhood and saying things like this. I almost lost hope until I came to Discover Church. And I'm going, well, should that really stop with us or should that actually be multiplied out? So here's what I would say. Have you ever thought that the church that you're part of right now would start multiplying in the next 10 years? And if you have, how far have you taken that? Have you, have you said, yeah, maybe we'll see multiplication in one way. Maybe we'll, we'll just do one church. Or is it possible to say, when I think of the number seven in our area code, what if Discover Church in the Highlands started seven faith communities in 10 years that are seeing people's lives transform and that they're now walking with Jesus with hope, peace, and love in a way that that neighborhood wasn't experiencing before. What if that happened? What if in 10 years that there are people all across Denver with the organizations we're already tied to that church planting starts happening and we say, yeah, this is one of the major things we're part of. In fact, it's not in the back of our mind. It's in the front of our mind. And, and that's what I want to talk about, is to say this is actually what the church did. In fact, the passage that you just read in Philippians, Paul says this weird thing. Okay, um, And, and let, me, let me tell you this. The way I'm thinking is, I'm thinking of it is, last time we talked about um, the church that God sees. Now I'm talking about the churches that Denver needs. Like we're actually talking about meeting a need. We're not talking about just doing this thing for an empire. I don't care about an empire. I just care about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about that in different communities, the churches that Denver needs, what are the need? Maybe some communities, there's bars on the window and they just, they need to be able to take those bars off in trust of their neighbor. We go, how do we start something that does that? And Jesus's power and peace overwhelms them. How do we do that? So what I'm telling you is, I want you to start thinking, when you think 720, what if seven faith communities in 10 years was a reality? What if it's a reality? A friend of mine says this often, he read it somewhere because he's not smart enough to come up with this. Okay, you ready? He says, if it's not intimidating to you, it's probably insulting to God, which would probably go along with what Steve just said. We sit, we get stuck. And there's this tension. And even now as I talk, you go, 
man, to, to multiply and there's these objections. Well, I want to show you in scripture what you just read, how that becomes a reality. When Paul says, he says something in this, he says, grace to you and peace. And then, and then he goes on to explain his thankfulness for the church that he's writing to. So then, by, by the way, if you were in our meetup on Monday, you're like, we talked about this in our meetup. Yes, we're going through Philippians in our meetup. So this is review for you. Everybody else, if you have questions, find the people in my meetup. So then in Philippians, so you go, what, who's he writing to? And he says this thing where he says, for God as my witness. So he's actually calling God to witness against me. He says, for God as my witness, I yearn for you. I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Okay. So st- I yearn for with God as my witness, okay? So he's not playing around with words. Paul's not just being sentimental. With God as my witness, I yearn for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And that affection of Jesus Christ, what did that affection do? Is it put him on a cross. This affection that Jesus had for you and for me, put him on a cross. He says, with that affection, I yearn for you. Now, I don't know if you've, the person you're sitting next to, if they're your spouse, you have to say it. Yeah, you have affection for them. But I'm saying the person behind you, in front of you, side to side. When you think of the church, when you think of, I'm going to church on Sunday night, do you yearn with an affection or do you yearn with frustration? Do you yearn with disunity? Do you Like, what do you yearn with? Because that's the thing that multiplies you. The thing you yearn with and for multiplies, just happens, right? If you, if you yearn, so, so what I'm saying to you is this, if you're yearning for the church, what gets you to that place? What got Paul to a place that he said, for God is my witness, I yearn for the church at Philippi. Let's go to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Here's what's really neat about Paul. When Paul planted churches, he planted churches in urban areas of major cities. So I don't know if you've ever been in an urban area of a major city before, but if you have, it's very much like where you're at right now, okay? So Paul does this thing where he plants churches in urban areas, and you would think Paul would be done with one church. You're like, hey, Paul, you stop with one church, but this is how it happens. This is how he's able to say a year which if we yearn with affection for the people in Discover Church in the Highlands, well, guess what? Then it starts to multiply because then you're like, you're discontent that the person, that there's not someone next to you. Like you're discontent that your neighbor doesn't have hope and you're discontent that your marriage isn't brought together by the Holy Spirit with an affection. That's what he says. This is in verse uh, 13 is where we're going to start. Chapter 16, verse 13. Okay, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we uh, were supposed, uh, where, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to a woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. So stop. She, she's a worshiper of God. She's not a Jesus follower. There's a big difference here. But then it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So, so she's listening intently. And there's an opening of the heart that's happening. And after she was baptized, this jumps right to it. 
She didn't pray a prayer and do something weird and jump up and down. She listened and then she became convinced and then she gets baptized and her household as well. She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now stop there. What you have is this. You have this girl, this lady named Lydia. She's she's from Thyatira. She has a house in Philippi. Okay, so we know she's affluent. We know that she has probably a lot of money. Lydia does. She's probably Asian, and Lydia is selling fashion, or she's like a fashionista. She's selling um, goods and material, okay? And she knows about God, kind of a God-fearer. So I want you to picture someone growing up kind of in a house, in a house where they would worship God, but she doesn't know the way to salvation. She actually doesn't know what would the name, when we say the words Jesus-looking God, that would be so foreign to her. So Paul starts reasoning with her. Paul starts talking to her. And for some of you, the idea of reasoning and talking about the scriptures, when that comes upon you, you're in. Like you love the theology discussion. She starts doing that and, and all of a sudden she comes to faith and it jumps straight to she gets baptized. And the commentators say about this, that this is the start of the church of Philippi. This is the start of it. So it's like, Paul, why don't you like stop planting churches? You can't stop starting and multiplying churches if the way you're living is to see the kingdom come into people's life. It doesn't stop. It keeps going. So it's not this thing where we say, how do we just make something happen? It's saying, how do we actually live in a way where the Lydia's in our life, the people who are um, in and out of our life that we have interaction with, how do we live in a way that we're able to talk in compelling and persuasive ways about what the Christian worldview is. This is Lydia. It's just one. And then let's keep going. As we're going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune teller. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So notice she doesn't know the way of salvation. She's saying they proclaim the way of salvation. And, and then it says this, and this she kept doing for many days. I want you to think if someone's following you saying the same, some of you get so irritated when you get like someone that they send one text message and you don't respond. So they send it again, right? And then they send like a question mark like you there. So th this, but you have someone following you for days. And then it says this, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit out of annoyance. <laughs> so some people walk. In the presence of God, some of go, this is annoying. I know this isn't from God. And then this is what he does. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Came out of her. So you have Lydia. You have Lydia who, through the reasoning of the scriptures, she comes to the Lord, gets baptized, her whole household gets baptized. And you have the slave girl, through the power of God, just like the charismatic expression of the power of God upon her, she comes to the Lord. She's delivered, and, and, and what we know is she, she probably was part of this early church in Philippi. Paul's part of this. Paul's part of these things. And then you fast forward, and you get to this story where Paul and Silas get taken to jail because they just casted out this spirit, that the spirit was getting people a lot of money, okay? So they get thrown into jail, into a Roman jail, and then the jailer is told, I want you to take care of them. But they're actually, he's actually told, keep them safe. 
is the word that's used. But the jailer doesn't do that. The jailer puts them in stocks, which stocks back then were not like this, right? That wasn't stocks. Stocks were when you were tied up in a weird contorted position and you're left there for a day or two so that your muscles cramp up. Major neck problems, major back problems. And this is what happens. Paul becomes the annoying friend where like everything Paul does to some degree when you're reading and if you understand what he's saying, you're like frustrated. So when they're trying to kill him, he just goes to die is gain. And you go, yeah, not really, Paul. We don't want to die. He says things like this, or he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is right and on our pillows. But when we try to apply that, we try to apply that in our life, you're like, I can't, I can't get that out in the right moment. And he says these things. And they say, we're going to keep you alive then. Well, to live is Christ. We're going to kill you. To die is gain. And then they put him in prison. And, uh, and he's in prison in these stocks with Silas. They start singing hymns. They start singing. Like, if, you, if I put you in jail tonight, you will sing songs to me. But it's, it's going to be full of words that, like, we don't say around here. They're singing hymns and spiritual songs to the Lord. And it says that the jail broke open. So you already have two people in Philippi that come to the Lord. It says the, and and it, this is what it says. And they um, believed the Lord. Where are we at in this? Uh, let, let, me, let me read it from here because I'm not sure if we have the text up there. Uh, we have about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. This is in verse 25. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. This is what's really interesting. Paul's Roman. Paul knows that this Roman uh, guard, if the jailers, if the prisoners escape, he's as good as dead. He will have to give his life up for this. So Paul could run if he needed to run, but he stays. He stays. The power of God's at work. He stays. He's actually, he, he's actually showing the jailer something. So you have this jailer, this Roman jailer, which Romans were just kind of the just do it people. So the way I think of this jailer is like blue collar, goes to work, comes home, turns on the game. Okay, this is kind of the jailer. He He's doing his job. He's probably good at his job. And then this happens. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, verse 28, Do not harm yourself, for we, all, we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then they brought him out and said, He said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, as did his whole household, and then they all got baptized. This is the start of the church in Philippi. You have Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer. You go, Paul, you're just multiplying these churches, and here's what you go back to. When he says, with the affection of our Lord Jesus, it's because he was there when they were delivered from whatever was holding them away. Like he was there when the kingdom of God came in. He was there. He was there when these moments happened. Paul was there. And churches that don't see that happening, they don't have a deep affection for the person sitting next to them, typically. 
I don't want to hang out, want to do fun things and all this, but, but like to say I yearn with the affection. I don't know if you've ever seen someone transformed by the gospel. If you've ever seen them like actually transformed, like you're going to answer their calls. You're going to be more responsive to their texts. You're going to be, you're going to, you yearn with an affection for that person because somehow you're tied together now. And for people that get tied together because the kingdom keeps rushing into the other person's life, that you would say, I yearn with the affection and I want to see this happen again. I don't just want to see it take place here. Everything that we experience here, when we say we experience the presence of God, we're called to ministry. We're, we're, we're choosing to be outward focused, all these things. When people start coming to faith, they start trusting in a Jesus-looking God, and then they start getting baptized. They start getting baptized. Everything shifts. Totally shifts. In fact, there's a guy that's like right below me in Kids Venture right now named Anthony that when we were dorm pastors, he was doing drugs, and part of my job as a dorm pastor, if someone was doing drugs, was to call them in and talk to them about their drug doing, okay? You could tell how enthusiastic I am about that part of my job. So comes in, I said, hey, I don't really know you. I just want to make sure you're okay. I heard this is going on. And uh, he said, I don't really believe in God, and so whatever you need to do, just do it. So I get up from my chair, and I go sit next to him, and I said, honestly, I don't care about the drugs. What I care about is what you just said. I don't believe in God. Can we talk about that? We talk about it for 40 minutes, and Anthony collapses. Now, if you know Anthony, when you hug him, he's one big muscle. Okay, He's like super strong. Very jealous of Anthony's muscles, okay? But he, so it's just this big red-headed dude that just collapses and starts weeping. He says, God wasn't there when I needed him. So I don't believe in him. We talked for a few minutes and then Anthony says, I want to trust in Jesus. He says, I, 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 want, to, I want to do that. And so Anthony starts trusting in Jesus that day. He goes back, he gets on the phone, he goes, hey, mom, I've been doing drugs. And then mom flips out, okay? So I've been doing drugs. And then, by the way, they come to the church often. They ended up moving to Denver. And then, and then he says, but I'm following Jesus. Like, I, I had to do drugs to follow Jesus. I don't know how. And so he tells her this story. Um, I had this, like, stirring in my heart that I just go, I want to, I want to see Anthony come with us to start a church. We, we'd never done church planning before. We had zero people. On, well, we had four people on my team. Uh, me, Lisa, Piper, Brennan. Okay? Those are the four. And I get together with him because I'm a strong believer. If you see someone come to Jesus, you need to disciple them. You need to help them grow and walk with the Lord. We get together that Monday. And I said, hey, let's start reading the Bible together. And he goes, great. And then I said, and and by the way, we're doing this thing. We're going to, it's called church planting. We feel really called. And he said, I need to go. He said, I need to go with you. He's the first one to move here. And we would sit in our living room, this house, like 600 something square feet, would sit in our living room, prayer meeting of the three of us. 
or four of us, there was one girl that was at a four people prayer meeting, praying for this, praying for people's lives to be transformed by the gospel. And we sit in the living room and he cannot, you try to ask Anthony to read John chapter one. He can't do it without weeping. And I tell you what, I yearn with an affection for Anthony. I just know, uh, Anthony, what the gospel did to him is incredible. And I want to see that keep happening. When we talk about church multiplication, what we're talking about is the people in your life, the Lydia's, the slave girl, the jail workers. We're talking about, do you yearn with an affection for them? Like, do you, do you want to see them come to Christ? And, and, and by the way, don't ever give up. Like, don't ever quit on these people. So, so this is what is said of churches that think this way. Okay? Is they will... There, there's a lot of things that they'll say, but they will engage with the power of God. They're, they're going to engage with the power of God and with the with the uh, church planting groups that are around them. And so I, I want to let you know, let's walk through the five real quick. We're going to need more engagement from more churches. So this is like when, we're, when we say, hey, we're part of this neighborhood city collective, we, we actually are part of a collective that the mission of the collective is to plant churches or to... to to see multiplication happen. And then with what Steve has started that calls here Urban Islands Project, the mission is to see those churches go. And then there's uh, organizations like Church Multiplication Network that I'm a part of, that I work for. And, and like we have all these churches, all these people saying, start churches. Here's a quote by Ed Stetzer, a church planting guru in America. He said, I know that it is easier said than done, but when the Vineyard, Calvary Chapel, and Hope Chapel movements were launched out of Southern California a few decades ago, they often planted at a 50% rate. So in our lifetime, we've actually seen a rate far beyond 10%. But the key is having more churches engaging in church planting. The, the key is having churches, people in the church Saying, I, being able to say, I yearn with an affection for the person sitting next to me. I yearn with an affection. I yearn with an affection. I yearn with an affection. Because I've seen what the gospel does. And when you do that enough, you go, we got to start something over there. There's too many people yearning with an affection for their neighborhood now. You see? Number two, we're going to need more planters. We need people that actually say, I feel this calling to do that thing um, and who live this way. Jay is starting something where he, people within the Neighborhood City Collective, where there's people who say, I, I want to be a church planner. He wants to do life with those people. And so um, we're already giving names to him, but to need more. I actually believe like sitting in this room, there's probably the next person who's going to start another faith community sitting in this room because multiplication is what it's all about. Let's go to number three. Again, this is from Ed Stetzer where he talks about the five things multiplying churches need to do. We're going to need more sacrifice. Rick Warren has said, too many irons in the fire will actually put out the fire. <laughs> if we're going to be about these sort of things, which, by the way, the whole entire thing of 720, what we're about, what we say is about, is not anything new. We're actually saying we're about multiplying the church, we're about making disciples, and we're about impacting our neighborhood. We're just doing that in a way we will remember and in a tangible expression of that that we could accomplish. And so this, we're going to need more sacrifice. We can't be about everything. 
We, we're going to have to say no to really good things in order to say yes to the church planting thing. It, it, we can't do everything. And so he actually, Ed Stetzer actually says, where churches have to live sacrificially in order to multiply. Number four, let's go number four. We're going to need more models. Not like models, models, okay? Not like this kind of model. No, what we're going to need is more church planting models, which means there are some, like the creative element of the whole, the, the way the Holy Spirit speaks to us is outside of the paradigm of our box thinking. And so some of the models that, that if someone starts a house church or someone starts a coffee shop church or someone starts a church at a bar or someone start whatever the model of church planting is, we don't care. We just want to see that there are people that come and walk with Jesus and we yearn with an affection for them. And then and we want that neighborhood to experience that sort of impact the models will change. There's going to be a thousand different types of models. You know, years ago, there's a guy named Mark Batterson who, who his model was that we're going to meet in a movie theater. And now a lot of churches meet in a movie theater. That was out of desperation, right? There's a lot of different models. It's not a one-way thing. We just want to see more faith communities bring more people to Jesus. And then here's the fifth one. We're going to need more power. We're going to need to be a praying people people who walk like Paul walked, where the power of the Holy Spirit's at work. Now, here's the good news. We're talking about something God already has spoken about. We're not making something up. We're talking about multiplication. We're not just talking about addition. Look, I, I don't really care to have to talk to the owners of the sanctuary to add more chairs back there. It's not a big deal. What I would like to see is multiplication, that this place we start to yearn with an affection because we've seen the power of Jesus work in the people that we're coming to church with. And we say, I can't help. I got to see this happen in my neighborhood. I got to see this happen in Cap Hill. I got to see this happen in City Park West. I got to see this happen. I got to see, I have to see this. I yearn. I have to see this. And we start doing that thing. And that's the power of God. So we're talking about the power of God is already where his word is. So the good news is God's power is in this. Bad news is you don't get a miracle until you need it, okay? So the, the hard thing, all the objections that we would raise, I just put in front of you, we will be a multiplying church. We won't just be a stagnant church. But actually, every organization we're part of is a multiplying organization. So if you go, well, I don't know, then we would literally have to leave every single organization that we're part of. <laughs> so whether you're a vineyard, Assemblies of God, whether you're um, part of Neighborhood City Collective or you just showed up, Whatever it is, you would have to leave your organization in order to, and we can't do this on our own. So just from practicality's purposes, to stay part of this, we will stay alive and thrive only through multiplying efforts. So what if in 10 years we look back and say, look what God's done. I yearn with affection for our city and the faith communities in our city. Lisa, will you get the band ready? I want, there's going to be a really cool way we'll respond, but let me show you a picture real quick of me playing. This is my soccer team from years ago, okay? That's my team. You see, I'm if I'm facing the screen, I'm on the far right there. Um, young, handsome, you know, all those things, whatever. But uh, I'm right there. Uh, that that This is me trying to be on a soccer team. I actually don't. You can take your stand. 
Eleanor. I actually don't play soccer at all. I, I admire the people who do. Josiah's here. He's actually Eleanor's fiance. Being married in March, and it's his birthday today. So happy birthday, Josiah. Uh, Josiah was like our soccer coach. We had two coaches, but he was he was like the coach. This is what I remember Josiah and the other coach um, telling us. They said, hey, we want everybody to make a goal, okay? If you, you haven't seen me play soccer, okay? I'm about, no, just bad. Like, I'm not good at all. So if you haven't seen me play soccer, if you watched me play, you would know everyone on the team probably can, except for that guy. That guy cannot play soccer at all. But this is what the coaches would tell me. They would say, stand right there by the goal. We're going to, what's it called? Cross what? Crossing? Crossing? Okay. We're going to kick you the ball is what you say. We're going to kick you the ball. And all you got to do is like, go like this. All you got to do, use the side of your foot. Don't use the front. It's going to go. Just use the side of your foot. Right, coach? Is this right? Yeah. Use the side of your foot. It's going to go in. And I remember many games going by. They kick me the ball, crossing's happening, and I'm going, and it's not going in. And then I'm running down the field, getting exhausted for no reason. And, and, and then, in the entire season, I got one goal. I got a goal. Like, in the seat, I actually kicked it in between the goalie's legs, right? Which is way better, more humiliating for the goalie. That was it. This is, my, this is how I, I scored a goal on our soccer team. So I can be part of the team. I, I scored a goal. And, and here's... Here's what happened. We're, we're part of organizations that they're actually positioning us to say, we're going to pass you. Okay, we want you to kick it in. We don't want you to exhaust yourself running up and down the field and never actually do anything. We're going to do this. So like the Neighborhood City Collective, we, this NCC, we do it with life together with these churches and, and it, that it exists to see multiplication happening, right? Vineyard Movement, you saw it started and launched and continued at a 50% growth rate. There's church planning organizations happening within that. You have Church Multiplication Network saying we're positioning you. Everything we can do is actually to pass you the ball to make a goal. Just stay focused and stay where you're supposed to be. And then when the time comes, we'll pass you the ball. And you go, oh, we missed one. Stay put in the game. Don't like you're part of this team. And if all that's not convincing, you got the kingdom of God that is multiplying itself. The kingdom of God multiplies and multiplies. Stay focused. Stay focused in the highlands. Stay focused in your neighborhood. Stay focused and yearn with an affection for the people in your life. Yearn with an affection. And then you go, we made one. <laughs> We're seeing more people come to Jesus and there's a faith community that started. We made, we made a goal. We made a goal. We did crossing. We made a goal, right? And, and then the coaches go, well done. We're going to do it again. Okay? Stay focused. Stay focused, stay focused. This is how a whole city will change. It's how Paul planted churches. Stay focused. When it's your time, kick it in. This is how everything changes. While they play, just going to ask Steve one question uh, that we've been asked. And then I'm going to ask, uh, I'll send you some questions we've been asked. And you can help me email some people this week. Okay. One question is this. In an attitude of worship and wrestling with the Lord is this. What advice would you give to discover church in church multiplication? Well, first of all, I'd say it's absolutely incredible. You're talking about seven churches in the next 10 years. And uh, I think that's a great starting point. Just say that's what we're going to do. And uh, so I'd say, number one, do that. Make sure some of those churches are in places 
where uh, they're not the challenge is this, that starting churches has, has what's happened is where the economy is the worst, the church, the presence of the church is the least, and that's because those those communities can't pay for the church. And what I would say to you guys is be be the organization that goes to the hardest places and figure out. It, it, it doesn't mean we have to say we're going to have a deficit here, but figure out how to do it. Go to the hard places. That's where Jesus is at. That's right. So go to the hard places. That's what I'm trying to say. Awesome. All right. Will you pray for us? Sure. So, Lord, uh, thanks for bringing this gathering of saints and sinners together, called out for a purpose. We've been thinking together tonight about what that purpose is. And I just pray that the message, the word of God that has been planted in our hearts tonight will take root and grow and, and that we will all individually, personally decide what we're going to do about that. And then let there be a collective assent and a, and a collective yes to this idea of being part of your mission to seek and save that which is lost and expand your kingdom into the neighborhoods and into the communities and into the hearts of the 